0: Let me pray before we dive into God's word. Lord Jesus, we just, um, God, I'm just thankful. God, I'm thankful that it's not, it's not just me up here preaching, God. It is, God, your people, God, who, who've encouraged me this week, who have prayed. God, the people who spend time diligently just preparing worship songs that remind us of your grace. God, the people who do the little things, God, like even just meeting us at the door to remember that um, there's people who care about us. God, I just thank you that you use, God, a broken vessel, God, who's received a lot of your grace to preach your word. And I pray, oh, I pray, Lord, that hearts would be softened to hear your word this morning. We pray all that in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. So you're going to hear a theme, God, throughout this, this, uh, this sermon. And it's going to be over and over. It's going to be about testing your heart. Right, What compels you? We've, we've went through this series, and I, Dan corrected me. I said 26 weeks last night. He said, no, it's 19. So we've been in compelled for 19 weeks now going through this series, which I think is probably one of the longest series that WCC has done. And I hope, through the title of this sermon alone, you've wrestled with your heart to think about what compels you. And if you haven't, I hope that this sermon would be a reminder to test your heart. Stephen Atherton, a few weeks back, he really touched on probably like the climax, the pivot point of this book. In 2 Corinthians 5, it says this, For the love of God, or love of Christ, controls us, because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Right, so... I hope that the love of Christ controls us. Um, as I was thinking through this sermon and how to just wrestle through illustrations, I, I don't know how many of you were here um, a couple weeks back when Greeley experienced like heavy rain. Um, it, it's only happened, I think it's been like 20 plus years since Greeley's ever experienced that much rain. It was like four inches of rain that came down within an hour. And the place that I worked in downtown Greeley was just like coated in rain. Like, I had coworkers who couldn't leave the office for lunch on their lunch break, and I had coworkers who were away on their lunch break that couldn't get back into the office because it was just, it was so flooded, and there was a lot of damage um, to the building and to people's homes. And what happened is, like, you do everything you possibly can to mitigate it, right? Like, you, you, you put sandbags, you get water pumps, you do whatever you can to avoid the damage. And it's the same thing with hail. I don't know how many of you guys have had your cars crinkled by hail. It kind of gives a cool, like, it's a different look. Most people don't like the look. It doesn't really affect the functionality, but we still, like, freak out about it. Like, I've had three cars damaged by hail, and I, I hate dealing with the insurance because it's just a pain. But, um, but we do. It, because we know of how much of a pain it is to deal with insurance and getting it fixed, you see hail or you see the sky start to change colors or... Or turn and you hear it on the news, like you're looking for a bridge or you're looking for a garage or a tree or anything you can find to avoid the damage, right? And we lived in, in a similar manner, we lived in Dallas um, for a while and we were in an apartment complex with, with hundreds of people and a lot of kids and there was a tornado warning. And we all were like piled into the hallways of that apartment complex like sardines and there's just like a ton of kids who are crying, screaming, who are, like, past their bedtime, didn't get dinner, and everybody's out there because, like, this tornado warning is, like, super serious. And we didn't want to just, like, it's more than just protecting our houses or our cars. Like, we didn't want our kids to get, like, have their limbs ripped apart in a tornado. Um, and so there is this reality, right? Like, even um, the, the building that's collapsed in Florida, right? Like, you have this building where a lot of people have... have have perished and have been collapsed upon. We've seen that. It's just horrific, right? And it's like, is there anything we could do to avoid the damage? Like, is there something they could have done structurally or repair the damage? And everybody's trying to figure out, like, how do we make sure this doesn't ever happen again, right? And so sometimes, right, we're compelled um, by the love of God, but sometimes we're compelled by the fear of God. And, and I think is, is to take an honest look at our lives, right? Are we... Preparing in a way so that we can avoid the consequences, right? of of not um, of not being ready, right? Are we Are we aware, right? Are we thinking about? Are we testing our heart? Because if we don't, it'll be more catastrophic than floods, it'll be more catastrophic than hail, it'll be more catastrophic than tornadoes or buildings collapsing. So as we go through this, I, there's a few questions that we're going to wrestle with. And I, and I hope there's a lot of questions that will test our motives and our hearts. One is, are you ready for Jesus' return? The second would be, are you genuinely repentant? And three, are you restored? And so if you didn't catch all those, or you didn't write them all down in your notes, if you're anal like me, we'll go through them again. But, um, but test your heart. That's going to be the theme. So we're compelled by God's grace to be ready. And I said this earlier, Like there's a, there's a lot of times we're compelled Like throughout this whole series, I think for the most part, it's been because of God's love, God's grace, God's mercy, we are compelled to love Jesus and to love others. But in this passage, in 2 Corinthians 13, Paul starts to spin it, and he wants to make clear because his message is so serious that if we are not compelled by the love of God, may we be compelled by the fear of God. Right, Jesus is no longer on a cross. Right? He is enthroned. He is the King of kings and Lord of lords and he will come again and he won't come in the same gentle form of a baby but he will come with all power, all authority to make everything bend in submission to him. Even, even if that requires some people to be eternally separated from him in everlasting torment. And so Paul Paul makes certain to the Corinthians his coming, and he says, I am coming to you, in 2 Corinthians 13, 1, he says, this is the third time I am coming to you, every charge must be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. So here Paul takes Deuteronomy 19, 15, and he applies that, that um, which is the the how they establish judgment. So in the Old Testament, it's like if you wanted to judge someone, if you wanted to bring conviction on someone, if you wanted to prove that someone did something wrong, you couldn't just have one person do it. It, take, it took two people or three people so that someone just wasn't making up false things. So to prove that something was actually done that needed punishment, it took two or three witnesses. And this is established in uh, Deuteronomy 1915. And so Paul takes this idea and he applies it to the Corinthians. And he says... He basically is saying, I met with you before. I came and I met with you before, and I'm going to come a second time. And that will be my witness, right? Like, I witnessed once and told you to return, and I'm going to come, and I'm going to tell you the same thing. And so you better be ready, because this time I'm coming in judgment. So they had better be prepared for his visit, just like we should be prepared for Jesus' coming. You know, I was... uh, I don't know if Matt Beal is here this morning, not yet, but, um, but Matt Beal, if you don't know him, great guy, um, enjoyed just his company, his life, his friendship, his authenticity. Um, what we were wrestling through as we were discussing stuff, like, okay, how far did Paul travel from Antioch, to Corinth, right, on his missionary journey? And I typed it into Google Maps, and I know this doesn't follow the exact missionary journey Paul did. Like, I know he traveled overseas, but bear with it, It's close. And it's about 1,300 miles, right? So 1,300 miles, and, I, and Google says you can walk approximately like 20 miles a day. I don't know if I could pull that off, but that's what it says. So assuming you walked 20 miles a day, it would be about 65 days to walk from Antioch to Corinth. Um, and so as I was just wrestling with this, I was like, how, like you have to really love people to walk and be with them like 65 days to go and see them. And Paul was like, he says earlier in Corinthians, like he's like their spiritual father. Like he cares for them so much. And like, if, if you have kids, right? Like if you, if you spent 65 days like traveling on an airplane, like over and over again, for like 65 days straight, and you show up to your kids, and your kid's house is an absolute wreck, and people are yelling at each other, and they're involved in, in junk and they're drunk and they're, they're maybe in sexual immorality or they're, they're just, things are falling apart all over the place. Like, it would be so depressing to show up to that. Like, it would be so miserable. Um, and so that's what Paul's saying. Like, I'm, I'm, like, be prepared. Like, I want to come. I want to enjoy your company. Um, and this, is, this parallels, this. I looked at this passage, it just parallels so much of the coming of Christ, right? Like, when Jesus comes, he wants to see us ready. He wants to see us longing. He wants to see our lives in order, our lives loving one another, right? And so I also went to Google. This is not the source of tr- Like, Google is, like, the source of information, but not the source of truth, by the way. But, but, um, but it's always interesting to see what Google comes up with. So if you type in, like, how big is the universe... On Google, it gives you 46.5 billion light years is what the, they, they, this is their words, observable universe. I think that's like the scientific time for like we have no idea, but that's what we can see. So, and scientists only go by what they see. So, um, so, but that's like the minimum distance, right? But think about that, right? Like that's what even like secular, like, like when we look at light rays and how far they go and how far we can see light rays, like that's what we come up with. But Jesus went... Right? like When he came as a baby, he, he went over 46.5 billion light years to get here. Right? And he's going to make the same journey again, over 46.5 billion light years. Right? More than our minds can fathom, the distance, it's like an impossible to, to really comprehend how far Jesus came in his love to save us. Right? But he's, he's going to come in a different form. He's not going to come in a baby. He's going to become in the one who defeated Death. He is going to come as the risen Lord, and he will come with great judgment, right? So Paul reminded Timothy in the book of Timothy, he says this, I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead. He is the one who is to judge the living and the dead, and it will come by his appearing and his kingdom. He will come to judge If God's Spirit is living and working in you, you will be compelled. You will be compelled to be ready for Jesus' coming. And that's why in light of that, test your heart. Um, Dan is actually preaching this morning as, um, I always want to say living hope. Is it living water, Ryan? It's living water. Living Water Church, Dan is preaching. But that's where Rob Mosier, who spoke in this series, um, he shared a story about a uh, bamboo farmer. And this bamboo farmer, like, was just diligently, everybody's mocking him, but he's watering, he's caring for this bamboo, and after three to five years, like, there's actually fruit. Like, you don't see anything with bamboo farming until, like, three to five years, and then it's, like, one of the fastest growing plants on the planet, and it just sprouts up feet and feet and feet. And I didn't believe Rob Mosher, I thought he was making things up for illustration purpose, so I went to Google, and Google said it was correct. So, um... But I, I think in, in light of that, right, like, are we, right, if we test our heart, are we being diligent to, to work out our salvation? Because if not, if not, then we will be the ones mocked, not the farmer, and we will receive great judgment at the coming of Jesus are we groaning, right? If the Spirit of God compels you, if it's working in your life, you should be ready, you should be longing for Jesus, right? It says this in Romans 8:23. not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we eagerly await the adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies, right? So I think as I feel that more and more. I mean, every day it's just like the things here, the pressures here, the storms here, the life's here, the, the things that just don't give the satisfaction that they used to, right? The material things, the houses, the cars, the, the whatever. It just doesn't give the same satisfaction. And, and what does is ultimately Jesus. And I just find myself longing every day as I get older just for more and more of him. That should be our heart. So test your heart. Right? We're also compelled to repent. And as I said um, earlier, right, we're, we're called to repent because we don't want to experience the consequences from not having a heart that's turned and a life that's turned from sin. And Paul makes this clear in 2 Corinthians verse 2. He says, I warned those who sinned before and all the others, and I warn them now while absent, as I did when present on my second visit, that if I come again, I will not spare them. Right? There's no excuses. Paul doesn't give an exemption. If there was any doubt who he's talking to in this passage, he says all the others. Some translations say all the rest. But he is is making sure, like he wants to make a point, I'm talking to every single person person doesn't matter if he even spoke with them or they saw him on his last visit he is saying if anybody is gathering if there's any one you know let them know this this is important so the gospel declares that jesus paid a very high price his very life his very blood for the salvation of those who believe in him if we continue in willful, unrepentant sin, it is a rejection of Jesus. It is a rejection of his love, it is a rejection of his sacrifice, and it is ultimately a rejection of his forgiveness. Right? The whole series has been to demonstrate that God's love compels us. But if we are not continued to be if we're not compelled to be repentant in light of God's love, then we cannot expect that God will continue to be merciful. It's like when I speed at 140 miles an hour down the highway and the cops turn on the lights. It's, it's the expectation is that I would like slow down and pull over. And if I don't, if I keep going at 140 miles per hour and I don't slow down, I'm going to incur a lot greater judgment, right? The penalty is going to be a lot higher the longer and longer I continue in sin or the longer I continue to run from the cops. And so Paul makes it clear he will not spare them just as Jesus will not spare them us. He's not going to stand in the middle of God's judgment for those who don't care and continue to sin willfully. Paul is going to let judgment come. By God's merciful, merciful, merciful hand, I hope, I hope all of you have experienced God's mercy um, to turn from sin. I, I used to be addicted heavily, for those who have, I've shared this story with a ton of people, only because I so desperately want people to turn from sin, but I was addicted to porn since I was in fifth grade. Remember it clear as day when I saw the first, um, first magazine when I was on the playground on, in fifth grade, and I was addicted to porn for, for years until about a little over five years ago, um, and I used to make a ton of excuses, right? Like, every guy does it. It's a guy's everybody's struggle. I'll never beat this. This is impossible to beat. No one can beat this at all. It's impossible, and, and God does not, God does not allow for excuses, right? So Paul had already warned the Corinthians, and this is a, this is a very sobering passage. I highly recommend, like, this becomes part of your just, um, your, 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 I don't know, your routine, I guess, your, read it quarterly, read it, read it often, but 1 Corinthians 10 keeps me sober, right? We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 20 Three thousand fell in a single day, right? Because of sexual morality, God's judgment came fierce, and 23,000 people dropped dead. So take sin seriously. I had a friend, um, and he, do, he did what most people I have not seen happen. Um, most guys, when they confess, they find one person... Um, because they don't really want to share it with everybody if they're struggling with porn or another addiction. But he, he just was under the weight of sin. And so in our community group that was filled with women, kids, um, people, he, he just confessed and he just laid it all out there where he was. And, and it was really cool just to see like the brothers in Christ, like just give him grace, encouragement, prayer. But he took it seriously. And so after that, Right? After that, with him and his wife, they took his computer, they grabbed a sledgehammer, and they smashed it to bits. And, and sometimes I'm like, well, don't do that. Like, just, just get rid of the computer or do something simpler. But Jesus says, like, cut off your hand or gouge out your eye. Right? How often we take too little action to actually turn from sin. Right? It's a twisted generation. We all know it is. Every man has a sexual story, and almost all of them are really screwed up, whether it's porn or twisted relationships. So do whatever it takes to turn from sexual morality, right? Get help. Find accountability. Put accountability software on your computer. Get a dumb phone if you have to. They're really annoying to, to text with, with only nine digits or ten digits on there, but, but get, a, get a dumb phone, not a smartphone, um, but I'll say this, there's a lot of things you can do to, to, to avoid sexual immorality, and that's good. But if you want to be repentant, it starts, like change happens when you get on your knees. Right? If you want to turn from sexual immorality, if you want to turn from sin, it's, it's really when you spend not just one day on your knees, but you make it a daily routine. Right? A humble and repentant heart, it begs for mercy. But a prideful heart, it looks to appear perfect. Let's say it again, a humble and repentant heart begs for mercy, but a prideful heart looks to appear perfect. The first step of repentance is begging the Lord for help. So we're compelled to repent. Test your heart. We're also compelled to be restored. So as Paul continues in verse 3, he says, since you seek proof that Christ is speaking in me, he is not weak in dealing with you but is powerful among you for he was crucified in weakness but lives by the power of God for we also are weak in him but in dealing with you we live with him by the power of God So Paul is Paul is totally fine. He's he's fine. Like question me. I don't have any any doubt in who God's made me to be and who he has told me to be in my message to declare the gospel of Jesus. He has no problem with the Corinthians examining him. But he does have a problem with their metrics, right? They're caught up in the eloquence of words. They're caught up in worldly power, right? They're caught up in just the mindset, and they're, they're wrestling with the lies of the culture and who is actually worth trusting. And, and Paul makes it clear he knows their heart because they're wrestling with even the cross, in 1 Corinthians 1:18 he 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 has to point out to them that the cross is folly to those who are perishing but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. Right for those who are not repentant the cross doesn't make any sense but to those of us who are repentant the cross is the power of God. It's a power and weakness and the cross demonstrates the power of Christ. As I look through this, like weakness is not talking about someone who's just like physically sick or frail. This is talking about someone who is weak and that they can experience and expect persecutions, trials, and hardship. Right? For Jesus was not frail physically. He wasn't ill, but he was persecuted and put to death. The weakness that is described in this passage is the acceptance of suffering for the glory of the Father that results in salvation and life. So let me say it again. So weakness in this passage is the acceptance, right? Jesus accepted the cross. He accepted being beaten, being nailed. He accepted his friends abandoning him so that the Father would be glorified and people would experience salvation and life. Hebrews puts it this way, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. He accepted the weakness that allowed the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. God's patience is demonstrated towards us by the cross. He held back the anger, the wrath of God because of the cross, right? The Corinthians, they looked to people who exalted themselves, who, who were smart in and of their own intellect, but then they died, and they were not raised. Jesus, instead, he took the cross, he took the humility, he took the weakness, and now he is eternally exalted as the resurrected king. So Dan Hardy, who reminded us, kind of, I think, at the beginning of this series about a picture frame, and the picture frame should not detract from the picture. right? Our message is not authenticated by our degrees, our eloquence, whether you went through PLI or whether you didn't. Um, doesn't really matter. right? Our jobs are anything else that provides acknowledgement of importance. right? If it does, if, if, if who we are is because of our degrees or because of our intellect or because of how well we can communicate, um, then we're we're overshadowing the picture. We're giving a false sense of grandeur that's in the frame instead of what should be in broken clay pots. It is our sin, right? It's our sin, it's our brokenness, it's our hardships, it's our trials that demonstrate the life of Christ. It's when we have joy amidst death, amidst funerals, amidst cancer, that the love of Christ is and the joy of Christ is seen. It's when we give sacrificially, even when our income decreases and our jobs are lost. It's when we confess our sin and acknowledge our imperfection. It's it's when we hit our knees because we can't handle our circumstances. That is when the power of Christ is most clearly seen. I don't know. I don't know what trials are ahead for you. I don't know what trials you're experiencing now. But I do know if you accept the cross, you'll find life amidst the trials. Thankful for John Cuppinger. Is he here? I don't know. He was here this morning. I don't know where he's at. But he reminded a few weeks back when we met, he just talked about it. He asked the, the question, right, where are we heading? And, and with a genuine answer, he just kind of asked it before you could even think of an answer. And he's like, wherever God leads, right, wherever God leads, And God led Jesus to the cross. The Father led Jesus to the cross in weakness, and so too he leads us in weakness to where the power of the cross is most clearly seen, often through a lot of heartache, a lot of pain, a lot of turmoil, and a lot of difficulty. We're compelled to be restored, and that restoration will come through weakness so that we might share in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Paul shared this truth with Timothy. He said, therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share, share in the suffering of the gospel by the power of God who saved us and called us to a holy calling. Not because of our works, but because of, our, because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Right? We're compelled to be restored to God, so test your heart. And we're compelled to re-examine. So in verse 5, Paul says this. He says, examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. Test yourselves. Right. This is a clear command from Paul. He actually, in this section of 10 verses, these are the two, the two words that are commands, which is examine, test. He says it twice to make it very clear. Like, test yourself. Like, this is so important. Do this. You have to test yourself he's asking them to take a critical examination of themselves the corinthians wanted to know this whole time as you've seen in the book of corinthians they wanted to know are you genuine paul are you really telling the truth or because these other guys they sound eloquent they sound good right how do we know you're telling the truth and paul turns the tables after the 13th chapter he says okay like test yourself you've been testing me test yourself Right, I have, sometimes I have for my leaders and pastors, I have expectations that I could never meet, right? Like sometimes I'm like, they should be way more humble, you know, they should be absolutely perfect, never do anything ever wrong, right? And a lot of times it's like they should make less and live on less than I do, um, and I have these these crazy metrics, but I, I think rarely, I think I need to get in a better habit of, of not Critiquing my leaders as much as I critique myself, I should be more concerned with myself. Right, those questions I look to my leaders to be. Um, I should ask myself first. Right, am I sacrificially living for Jesus? Am I repentant? And the funny thing is, is the Corinthians right? As Paul knows, they would they would fall short of his genuineness. Right, I love I love Paul's well. Paul's resume is 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 impressive, right? He was three times beaten with rods. He was stoned. He was shipwrecked. He was adrift at sea. He went on a lot of journeys and spent a lot of time walking, as we talked about. He was in danger from rivers, from robbers, from people, from Gentiles, from cities, from wilderness, from seas, from false brothers. He was in toil and hardship. He didn't sleep a lot. He was in hunger and thirst, without food and cold and exposure, without sleeping bags. And, and he had a lot of stress on him with the anxiety for all the saints. So Paul had no question, of, of with the, he had no problem with the, the Corinthians questioning his authority, but he did have a problem if they came to the wrong conclusion. He wanted them to understand that he represents Jesus and that his words are true. So we ask the Corinthians in verse 5, do you not realize this about yourself, that Jesus Christ is in you? Unless indeed you fail to meet the test, I hope you will find that we have not failed the test, right? So Paul did not want them to fail the test. He wanted the life of Jesus to be evident among them, right? This examination, this test is also found elsewhere in Galatians 6.4, for instance. It says, but let each one test his own work, and this and this, then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not his neighbor. And it's the same thing. Hebrews 3.12 says it, right? Like, take care, brothers, lest any of you have an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. I, I, I've wrestled, like, as soon as Dan assigned this passage to me to preach, I wrestled with, like, what in the world is the test? Like, what is the test? The scripture doesn't really say. What is, what is this test? How do I test myself? What does this mean? Is it even fair? Like, is it even fair to give myself a test? Because if I was in college and I was able to give myself a test, it would be really easy. Like, I would make sure I pass. <laughs> but, but is that, what, what are we called to? What, are we, what, is Paul, what is Paul asking us to test? Um, see, we are called, right? Paul, we are called to reflect and examine ourselves. And we do this every time we gather and share in communion to remember Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. We're called to re examine ourselves. And and the most basic test, right? The most basic test, if you want to boil down the test to anything, is do you believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead as a living Lord? That's the most basic test. And if you're here and you don't know what I'm talking about, then, then ask your neighbor. I'll send them all to Chase. Chase will talk, Chase will talk to you and share just the, 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 the gospel that, like, death has been defeated, right? Like, that is the most basic test, and that's what we believe. And so when we examine ourselves, if we don't see that, we've got a big problem, right? But that is the most basic test. But as I reflected, I was like, it's, it's, the test goes deeper, right? And, and I think as you grow in Christ, as you get older, as you continue on this journey, the tests get harder and harder, And as I reflected, I really feel like the life of Christ is demonstrated and seen most clearly in Matthew 5. And that's where we find what's often called the Beatitudes, because this is what we should be when Christ is in us and we pass the test. So here's, I I think I have some slides that will hopefully make it a little easier. Um, The point's not to... You don't have to copy my words exactly or or write them down in your notes because um, we'll probably go through them fairly quick. But remember Matthew 5 of anything and and go through Matthew 5 this week and continue to go through Matthew 5 and just really meditate on the text. And I hope my questions are what I tried when I when I went through the text and started just testing myself to see if these things are true of me. These are the questions I asked. So starting with verse 3, it says, Um, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This may be, am I looking to God as the only hope for the world? For the next verse, right? Am I making my requests known to God? For it says, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Right? Am I content with God and how he's wrote my story? Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Am I reading and meditating on God's word? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Am I I showing patience, forgiveness, and mercy? Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Am I aware of God's kindness? Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Am I concerned for others to be reconciled with God? Do I share the gospel with others? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Right? Am I sacrificing? Am I suffering for the gospel? Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. When these, when these are ingrained in our veins, right? when these are absolutely just like, flowing through us, then we've passed the test and Jesus lives in us. But as I wrestle, and I think even Paul wrestled with the reality, what if we fail? Right? What, if, what if when we take an honest look at our lives, we go, you know what, my faith's not genuine. Right? When we conclude that everything in our life, when we really take a look, we're like, it's selfish. Right? I'm, I'm fixated on worldly problems, worldly pursuits, and worldly stuff. I don't spend time on my knees. I don't thank God for food. I'm not content. I'd rather be anywhere anyone else. I don't really read God's word. Maybe a verse here and there. You know, I get frustrated over stupid things like the AC not working correctly instead of enjoying the sunrise that's beautiful. I don't sacrifice. I don't really give anything that changes what I do. I still buy the same stuff, do the same things, There is no sacrifice in my giving. Maybe I'm short-tempered. I'm not patient. And those that I love the most, unfortunately, they, they often feel the wrath of my selfishness. And I cause them hurt and I push them away from Jesus instead of bringing them closer to the God I claim to know. Sometimes we fail. And sometimes we fail hard. Right? Paul's aware of the reality to fail the test. So he says in gentleness, in verse 7, he says, But we pray, but we pray to God that you may not do wrong, not that we have appeared to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, that we may seem to have failed. So Paul's response, he, he, he goes to God first. Right? He says, But we pray. Right? Before he even responds to the disobedience that goes on in Corinth, he prays, he seeks God. Right how often do we do that right when you're in an argument with your spouse or you're frustrated with your kids before you send an email or you send a text or you post something online or you tell someone else how many of you go and spend time on your knees asking asking that you and your spouse would be obedient right Paul goes to God first Paul calls the Corinthians to unconditional obedience right? Gordon Penfold, when he shared in this series, he said that we should be growing in Christ's likeness. And I think most of the people who have preached up here have said something similar. Dan Hardy put it this way, in response to God's love, we will have a greater desire to obey God's law, right? If you are breathing, which I think everybody isn't here. I don't think anybody's passed out yet. But if you are breathing, you have hope, right? There's hope for the living, right, Ecclesiastes four puts it this way, I love the imagery, but he who is joined with all the living has hope for a living dog is better than a dead lion, right, like it's just, I just, I love that amidst, even when you just feel absolutely worn out, if you're breathing, there's hope, right, so just in those moments of despair, just, just check your breath and see if you're breathing still, and remember the grace of God. Right? if you're a genuine believer if you believe that Jesus is risen and is lord it doesn't matter how bad you may have seemed to have failed the test right your your marriage could be an absolute wreck right you may be divorced you may have had an affair or as i hate to admit it there were so many and it's it's horrible to even say this there's so many saturday nights when i was looking at porn before sunday morning And I'll say this, maybe there's some of you who don't even realize that you failed the test, so let me hopefully help you understand, right? If If you've looked at porn and you haven't confessed it yet, you failed the test. If you're not reading God's word regularly, you failed the test, right? If you're living with your girlfriend, you failed the test, right? If you're not giving sacrificially, you failed the test. Right? If you're consistently speaking harshly to your wife, you've failed the test. And I say this because I know I failed the test so many times, but I wasn't even aware of it. Jesus wasn't even evident in my life. There was so much hypocrisy. And maybe it's not porn, right? I know not everybody struggles with that, um, Maybe it's not sexual morality, but maybe as you read Matthew 5, you go, man, I, I'm, not, I'm not experiencing that. I don't experience the life of Christ. And I want you to know this, like there is a lot of grace. There's a lot of mercy found in Jesus. And like Paul, who is praying for the Corinthians, like I've been praying for you guys. Um, for those I know by name and for those who are gathering with us and I don't know you yet, um, I've been praying for you. I know the elder board, which is a solid, solid man that I respect a lot, they're praying for you. Um, so please, 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 if you're struggling with sin, if you're fighting sin, confess it, turn from it, seek obedience, and spend time on your knees. Um, I love the Westminster Confession of Faith because it just it reminds us and it keeps us like the guardrails a lot of times of like making sure we're not preaching heresy and we're sticking with what's true. And it says this, They whom God hath accepted in his beloved, effectually called and sanctified by his spirit, can neither totally nor finally fall away from the state of grace, but shall certainly persevere therein to the end and be eternally saved. And I love how the Westminster Confession of Saves, it goes on to state, and it acknowledges that we can seem to fail the test at times, right? Nevertheless, they may, through the temptations of Satan and of the world, the prevalency of the corruption remaining in them and the neglect of the means of their preservation, fall into grievous sins, and for a time continue therein, whereby they incur God's displeasure and grieve his Holy Spirit, come to be deprived of of some measure of their graces and comforts, and have their hearts hardened and their consciences wounded, hurt, and scandalize others, and bring temporal judgments upon themselves. Um, and if you're wrestling with that, there's there's a, an insane amount of footnotes that wouldn't fit on these slides that are all the verses that support that. And it's it's a key theme that that we're sinners and we get caught up in sin, um, but God's grace has sealed us. And sometimes even though we fail and we fail hard, God is the author, he is the perfecter, and he will finish the story of grace that he begins. So in verse 8, Paul continues, he says, for we cannot do anything, nothing against the truth, but only for the truth. Right? Paul couldn't help but love, and how could he not? How can we not, in light of the cross, in light of the goodness of Jesus, how can we not seek to do and practice truth? Paul was compelled to act and love. And there's been an amazing amount of truth that's been communicated through fallen men over this series. And I, as I was, I preached this last night, and I, I just want to say this, I hope that, that we're memorizing scripture, and we're fallible men, and so don't quote us like Jesus. Um, but I, I do think there's some things that Um, that stick in my head that have been really helpful that remind me of Jesus's words. And so just a few. I hope this just spurs you to remember some of the truths that God shared throughout this series. Um, David Morgan, one of the things that stuck out with me is that he said, forgiveness gives another the love of God. Forgiveness gives another the love of God. For me, it's it's such a reminder to just be forgiving. Like, it's so key to our love. And Dan Hardy said, if you know, go and be reconciled. I think it's like Just stuck with me just it's memorable just that command of like no go be reconciled that's what jesus says like go do it and don't wait and ryan farr last week um talk about examining your heart right like he just he just shared are we are we spending and being spent for one another right like i'm i'm in the finance world so that's just in my bubble and it just makes sense to me but it's just some of those truths, and I hope there's other ones as you go through your notes. Hopefully you take notes. I think that's how we, we remember. I forget I forget often by the time this afternoon rolls around what, what was spoken in the morning. So, um, so, so take notes. Remember God's truth. Um, there's a lot of guys who have just spent a lot of hours preparing and prepping, and I, I, I just love the personalities, the different personalities that convey God's word through this series. So put into practice what you've learned from 2 Corinthians. And Paul in verse 9 he says, for we are glad when we are weak and you are strong. Your restoration is what we are praying for. I was with my daughter a couple weeks ago. I was just blessed to, to do a, uh, a hike with her. So me and Rosalie went up to Horsetooth Trail. Um, and just did a, it was just the first time I've ever been on a hike with just my daughter. And it was, it was just a sweet time to just have some really quality conversations, but we came across this sign, and it just said, like, restoration in progress. And I was just, like, I was meditating on this passage, working on this sermon, and I'm like, that's, like, so perfect. Like, you look and you see this area, and it's, like, it's not yet, like, what it should be. And it's, it's exactly, like, the same, it's the same thing, right? We're, restora- like, restoration is in progress with all of us. Like, God is working in and through us to, to bring us to what we should be. And this is the same idea, right? Like in the Gospels, it uses like the same word for like mending nets, right? Like nets that are broken or have been torn from use or trials or whatever comes to, to destroy fishing nets, and they're being mended. They're being restored and put back together to be useful. And that's what God does with us. He takes the brokenness, the broken nets. He takes us and he puts us back to be Useful, and, and I've seen this, right? Like this is what's so cool is like I've seen men who by God's grace have been mended and put back together to be husbands, to be fathers, to be workers, to be people who share the gospel, to be those who go overseas and share the gospel. I've seen God just restore and mend things that just seem utterly broken. And when you see, think about a, a man who's, whose life just, probably couldn't be screwed up anymore, right? I think of David, right? He, he committed adultery and he didn't stop sinning. He tried to cover it up. He tried to look perfect, so he murdered. But he turns, he repents. And in Psalm 51, a beautiful psalm, but in verses 12 and 13, he longs to be useful because he knows he is no longer in God's grace because of sin. And he is begging to be useful to God once again. And so he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways and sinners will return to you. So we had a um, I had an oven that decided to go crazy. And it it just like blew up and like caught on fire, and there's, like, smoke filling the house, and my wife's like, what's going on? Um, And thankfully, there was a a breaker that tripped. And so the breaker, like, by God's grace, the breaker tripped because there was actually, like, it melted in the coil, like the top coil of the oven. There was, like, this, like, quarter-inch gap in the coil that just, like, snapped apart, and, like, it was crazy. Like, the whole coil just, like, melted. I've never seen anything like it. Um, But if there was no breaker on that oven, if there was no test, our whole house would have probably burnt down and someone probably would have been hurt. So I say this, test your heart. It's so, so important, right? Like read Matthew 5. Take an honest inventory. Every time you come on Sunday, test your heart to see if you're really accepting God's truth. Take an honest inventory. And thankfully by God's grace, with that oven, I actually was able to find a cheap new coil. And so I pulled out the old coil that was like busted and and messed up and I replaced it with a new coil. And I thought like, I was like, that's so much like us. Like God doesn't want to get rid of us, right? Like we're too, we're too costly. Like he, he died with his own blood. Like he bought us with his blood. Like we're too expensive to just get rid of. And so God, God pulls out our heart of stone and replaces it with a heart of flesh, just like I did with my oven. I, I took the coil out and I put a new one in. And so test your heart, test your motives, spend time on your knees. And I'll say this, if you, if you read Matthew 5 and you're like, man, that, the life of Christ is in me, like, rejoice. Like, it is, it is a good thing to pass the test and to have Jesus be in you. And so, like, rejoice in that truth, right? But if you failed, but if you failed, there's a lot of grace, right? And this is shown in Ezekiel. He says, and I will give them one heart and a new spirit, and I will put within them, I remove the heart of stone from their flesh, and I will give them a heart of flesh. Like, God changes hearts. That's what God's in the business of doing, right? That is what God cares about, and that is why Jesus came to this earth was because he wanted to change hearts. Let's pray. Father in heaven, God, we just uh, we're just grateful, God. We're grateful that you don't give up on us, God. You don't get rid of us. You don't throw us away, God. You you bear with us. You intercede for us, God, as you are now, and you you make a case when there is no case to be made, God. But At the same time, Lord, we also know you are a God to be feared, God, a God to tremble at and work out our salvation. So, Lord Jesus, I plead that we would be men and women, God, who would be filled with your spirit, God, to turn from sin and to love others. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.